If you will, take your Bibles and turn to John, the second chapter. John, the second chapter. It's only taken us three months to work our way all the way through the first two chapters of John. Message today entitled, as you see on the screen, An Inconvenient. I've already mentioned this past week, five years ago, it's hard to believe it's been that long, Van and Troy, no, excuse me, Van and Wayne and Gary and I went to our first refresh, and one of the things that we said about this week, this refresh conference really spoke to us like that first one did, probably better than any have in a couple of years. Two people, and the whole team is great that preaches, but two of the men there really impacted my life this week. Our friend, Dr. Daniel Simmons, just spoke into my soul. Also, Tom Eliff. Now, you may not know that name. You may. He's the immediate past president of the IMB, International Mission Board. His wife, Jeannie, had been battling cancer for years, and two months ago she went home to be with the Lord. And this was his really his first time out. And, boy, he pro- preached from, like, I, like I've not ever heard him, and I've been hearing him for double-digit years. Brother Tom said some things, and Brother Daniel said some things that will impact me for years to come, if not for the rest of my life. Tom began in a, in a different way with his messages. He began by telling us about the invitation and telling us what's going to be expected of us. And then, one message, he talked about the altar. I've had the privilege, we've redesigned this altar. I had the privilege of being the pastor of a church that built one building. If you notice, there are steps where you can approach the platform area from just about any direction. That's by design because it becomes our altar. Many of us, the altar is not a part of our lives. We came, maybe when we got saved or when we joined the church, Maybe when we got married, but we don't really come anymore. That's, that's pretty well enough for us. And I'm afraid we're missing what the altar has for us. You see, at the altar, you'll find meaning for your life. You'll find purpose for your life. You'll find joy in your life. You'll find uh, and discover at the altar that way of walking deeper with God. You'll find purpose. You'll find help. You'll find hope at the altar. You see, it is at the altar that you learn the secrets of walking with God. But some of us will never come to the altar because we know that the altar is also a place of death. That's why the the Romans were so surprised when Paul wrote, Present your body a living sacrifice. There's not really a living sacrifice. It's a place of death. But please hear me today. It's at the altar where that sin that you never can get free of, that you can bring that sin to the altar and let it die. It is at the altar where you can bring that part of your life that you can never get control of, that you can bring it, as it were, to the altar, to the foot of the cross, and leave it and let it die. It is at the altar that you can bring yourself 
and let yourself die to the old way of life. It's at the altar. Altars are big in the Bible. People created altars a lot of places. Abraham never created an altar when he was in Egypt. But when God called him out of Egypt, it seemed that at every point of his life, he built an altar. And he built an altar as a defining moment in his life to remember what God had done for his life, what he had given to the Lord. Sometimes we don't grow in our faith because we can't find the altar, because we dismiss the altar. Is that you? You say, Brother Jerry, it sounds like you've been impacted. Yes, it is very impactful when we go to Albany every year. Because it is nothing. It is not out of the ordinary. While the preacher is still preaching for people to get up and come to the altar. Because the altar is that important. In just a few minutes, I'm going to give you an invitation to the altar. And some of you need to come. Some of you need to come for the very first time to Jesus You need to come and you know that you've really, you know in your deep recesses of your heart, you know you've really been playing the games. You know you've been putting on the show. You know know you've been going to church. You know you've been living good. People would say you're a good person. But you know in your heart of hearts, if you stand face to face with Jesus, he's going to say, who are you? You see, people have the wrong idea about preachers. People have the idea that we preachers, all we want to do is is present a well-developed, well-thought-out, inspired message and make everybody feel good so they can go home. And that's not it at all. Every time I stand in front of any crowd, and I will say this, any God-called preacher stands in front of a crowd, what we see are souls and lives who really need to connect with their Creator. And the only way to do that is through Jesus. And Jesus invites you to the altar. That's pretty inconvenient. (laughs) That's pretty inconvenient. Because I'm going to get embarrassed. Somebody's going to say, well, what did they do wrong? And I'm going to just say this to you. It'll be better for somebody to say, what did they do wrong when you come down and pour your heart out to God in this service than it is to receive a depart from me when you come face to face with Jesus. Oh, it's pretty inconvenient because, and we're really built on convenience in America. We're built on convenience. We go to the movie, we go to the beach, we go to the mountain, we go to the ball game, we go wherever we want to go, and we want it very convenient for us. And this is inconvenient. We're going to read a scripture this morning that presents this inconvenient truth. And I'm just going to be, I'm going to be honest with you. I'll be candid with you. I always am honest with you. I'll be candid with you. I've never heard this passage preached before in my Christian life. It would have been real easy two weeks ago to just read through it and leave it out. But I believe that it has a message for America. I believe it has a message for Hueytown Baptist Church. I believe it has a message for me. And I believe it has a message for you. And it's an inconvenient message. It's an inconvenient truth. But it's one that I believe that God would have us come to grips with. If you found that John 2 passage, would you stand to honor the reading of his word?
just three short verses. Now, I'm going to refresh your memory. But please don't doubt that I know that you remember everything I said two weeks ago and three weeks ago. But let me just refresh your memory. Chapter 2 opens with Jesus going to the wedding in Cana at Galilee. It is at that place that he turned the water into wine. He then left there and went toward Jerusalem. It was just before the Passover. And he grabbed a whip and he cleaned out the temple. That was the message two weeks ago. And now we see what comes next. Verse 23, you follow along. This is indeed God's holy word. Now when he, that's Jesus, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Just to be clear, Jesus don't need you to tell him about somebody else. He don't need you to tell him about you because he knows you. He knows me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that for the next few minutes, that you will bear witness of your word by the presence of your spirit. I pray that you will bring us face to face with truth that we may have missed along the way. I pray that you will remove me from the equation and that you will speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. In 2006, there was a video released entitled, An Inconvenient Truth. Some of you may have seen it. I did not. I saw snippets from it. Basically, An Inconvenient Truth was our former president, Al Gore, delivering lectures about climate change and global warming. Now, I have not, you may have, I have not read a uh, reputable scientist who agrees with the assertions of Al Gore. But the point's taken. Truth is often inconvenient. We want convenience, and truth is often inconvenience because it gives and takes no quarters. It is really inconvenient when it comes to things like your faith, your church, and the Bible. I mentioned Daniel Simmons a while ago, and one of the things Daniel told us about the West in one of his messages, he said, the problem with the the Bible Belt and the West is that we don't really have a biblical worldview. We have a Western biblical worldview. If I unpack that just a little bit, and by the way, a biblical worldview is to see the world through the principles and the truths in the Bible, no matter how inconvenient they might be. A Western biblical worldview, as he said, and I truly believe, is in this age of enlightenment in America that we have long almost 
dismissed from our faith the supernatural. Some people will tell you that God has finished working. He's not working his miracles anymore in our day and age. As far as I can tell, this book never tells me that God relinquished any of his power or any of his authority. He never changes. He was the same. He is the same today as he was in the past, and he'll be the same tomorrow as he is today. He is yesterday, today, and forever. If he wanted to do it today, he could do it. But I will tell you what I believe about America and the American church and the American believer. I believe that we are living inside of the Nazareth principle. The Bible clearly says that Jesus came to Nazareth and he couldn't do many works there because of their unbelief. You see, God never changes. And when he calls us to follow him, when he calls us to be a Christian, he calls us to a life that's different. And here's the crux of the matter today. We have so watered down what it means to follow Christ that it's not even recognizable. Christ's first call in Matthew 4 was follow me. In his lifetime and in the Gospels, his last call in John 21 was follow me. But boy, it's inconvenient. As I studied this text, some things that I'd never heard jumped out at me. As we look at this inconvenient truth, I want to split it off into three facts. The first thing that I will tell you that makes up this this inconvenient truth is what I call a strange truth. A strange truth. If you got your Bible, you might want to hold it open. If you got your Bible open, watch this. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, and I want to say to you that that was nothing strange about that. Jesus always went where people were. Jerusalem quite likely swelled by at least a million visitors at the time of the Passover every year. And he always went where people were because that's why Jesus came, for people like you and me to offer us help and hope and life and salvation and a reconnection to God. Now, when when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, watch this. Are you listening? Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them. Now, did you get that? They, the Bible says, John records that many believed on the name of Jesus and it wasn't good enough. Does that sound strange to anybody? Because it says Jesus did not entrust himself to them. You know what that means? Please listen. That means those people in Jerusalem who are written about right here, had you walked up to them and asked them were they going to heaven, had they been saved, they would have said, yes, sir. I believe in Jesus. And John records that they weren't. In fact, if you look in verse, if you look in verse 23, 
Here's how strange it gets. This is how, this, this is how weird it gets. Watch this. In verse 20, in verse 23, it uses the word believe. Many believed in his name. And then in verse 24, it uses the word entrust in my translation. So many believed in his name, but he did not entrust himself to them. Now watch this thinking. In the Hebrew, those two words come from the same root word. Do you know what that means? Hear me, 21st century American Christians. It means that many believed in Jesus, but Jesus didn't believe in them. Do you know why? It had nothing to do with their external actions. It had nothing to do with their external response. It had to do with their heart. He didn't believe they were committing to Him. He just believed they, that they had come to see the show. They had come to see the signs. They had come, watch this, for what was convenient and comfortable for them. They just kind of pick and chose what they wanted. I want you to think about it in modern day terms. And it... Nicely to the heart. We live in the Bible Belt of America. And in the Bible Belt in America, people generally believe in Jesus. In fact, many people will believe that Jesus is the only way. And, and, and in fact, in fact, do you know what? People will tell you they're Christians simply because they attend church, simply because they live in the South. Brother Jerry, I believe in Jesus. Hey, you're right. But listen, James, the half-brother of Jesus, said this. He said, you believe there's one God? You do well. <clears throat> Even the demons in hell believe, and they shudder. Eddie, sometimes I'll read that last couple of words, and I think the demons are more moved by God than some of us. I want you to think about how strange this is. It says, Many believed in His name, but Jesus did not entrust Him, trust Himself to them. Jesus' call, I've already said, Jesus' call is not just to believe. Jesus told no disciples to believe in Him. You know what He said? Follow me. You can believe in Jesus. Now, here's your statement. You can believe in Jesus without following Him, but you can't follow Him without believing in Him. Strange truth John records. But that strange truth leads us to what I call a scary truth, a frightening truth. I mean, think about that. I mean, it caused me to question that what I have been taught and what I have been teaching, what I have been taught and what has been taught for generations, while it is not inaccurate, it is incomplete. Just believe and you'll be saved. Well, according to this word, there's a little more to it than that. According to this word and God's word, it's not complete. Somebody will say, and I know how people think. Brother Jerry, you shouldn't say things like that because you're putting down people who, you know, you put down my favorite pastor. No, I'm not putting down your favorite pastor. It's not my intent. 
What I'm telling you is that every one of us are susceptible to trying to make the truth a little more convenient, a little more easy for us. I just want to ask you a question. Now, I want to give you a fair warning. You're not a really an expressive group, so I'm about to tell you I'm going to ask you to speak. Does everybody have that? Did y'all hear that? I'm about to ask you to speak. All I want you, you can say, Amen. That's right. Yes, I do. Just for a couple of questions. Or no, I don't. Okay? Do you believe the Bible? Wow, I'm not convinced. I'll give you a second chance. That's a warm-up, Baptist. Do you believe the Bible? Do you believe the Bible offers answers for life? Do you believe the Bible offers answers for eternal security? Do you believe the Bible offers answers for salvation? Well, here's the thing. If you believe that, we better get our minds around what the Bible really says because you know what the real scary truth here is in this verse? It parallels the truth that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to put it on the screen for you. Here it is. Maybe. Many people expecting to be saved are going to be lost. That means Baptists, that means Methodists, that means Presbyterians, that means Pentecostals, that means people who think they're good enough to get there, that means church-going people, that means Sunday school teachers, it means preachers, it means singers, it means many people expecting to be saved are going to be lost. Turn in your, you don't turn in there, but, but read your Bible today. Matthew 25, it opens with a story of the wise and foolish virgins. Those foolish virgins thought that they had done enough to be ushered in. And they were left outside. You go to the end of chapter 25, and Jesus is telling about, and by the way, Jesus is telling all these stories. Jesus is telling about the end times. And he talks about those folks who said, hey, we did this, we did that. We um, took care of the poor, we visited the sick. We did all those things. And Jesus said, depart from me. I never knew you. People thought they were okay. Now, are you catching this? People thought they were okay. But they weren't. People came to Jerusalem and they saw the signs. They saw the wonders. They saw the miracles. Quite likely one of those miracles, they had heard about Jesus turning the water into wine. We don't know what else it was. He probably was there healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, making the lame to walk. People were watching that and they believed in His name. But they came because of His work. They thought they were saved. They thought they had it right. But listen, please discount everything else Brother Jerry says, but don't miss this truth. Jesus is the only one who counts. What He thinks about your life, He's the only one that counts. You know why? Watch this. And needed Jesus needed no one to bear witness about Him because He Himself knew all people, and he knew what was in man. Do you know that right now he knows what you're thinking about? 
He knows he's just sitting there thinking, well, I don't really like this message. Brother Jerry's getting way too passionate about this. You know what I really want? Is I really want a message on love and telling me how to do some other things. I really don't want this message of salvation. Here's what I'm going to tell you. If that's you, Jesus knows what you're thinking. I'm also going to tell you this. There's going to come a day at the end of time when you wish I'd have been more passionate about it. When I read this scripture, you know what you know what occurs to me? I think it was a heartbreak for Jesus. He saw the they saw the signs, they saw what he was doing, they believed in those signs in his name that way. And Jesus didn't entrust himself to them. This is Passover, right? This is his first Passover when his ministry started. Because he knew. He knows all men. Are you listening? He knew that three years later that that same crowd would be in those same streets at that same time and they'd be yelling, crucify him. He knew what was in their hearts. How like those people in Jerusalem we can be. If this is the most inconvenient truth that confronts us today, I mean, we have our little culture. If this offends you, let it offend you. But let it offend you to the point of doing something about it. Not for me, for you. We have our little culture where we teach our children what's important in life. Last night, many in this congregation and many probably who are not here because they did this, stayed up to almost 1 o'clock to see Alabama and Ole Miss play. I'll just tell you from my standpoint, even though my team won, that's a pretty sloppy game. I'm not sure it was worth staying up to 1 o'clock to see. And probably many of us had our children close at hand because we're going to teach them how to follow the tide. We're going to teach them how to follow the rebels. We're going to teach them how to follow Auburn. Maybe some in here, Tennessee, LSU. We're going to teach them how to do that. But listen, how long has it been since with that kind of passion you taught your children how to follow Jesus? Kept them up to all hours of night teaching them how to follow Jesus. And you taught them in such a way that one day if Jesus speaks into their life and says, I want you to go, that they will be ready to leave their boats, their nets, their fishing, their home, their hometown, their past, and follow Him. That's what it means to be saved. That's what it means for Jesus to entrust Himself to you. It's a scary truth that some people... Spend their lives in a pew, in the choir loft, in the pulpit, around the church. Their lives stirred, but not never ever changed. I want to say this to you. Jesus has better for you and me than we're giving him credit for. 
There's one last truth that is the most inconvenient truth of it all. Strange truth. People believed in his name and they were not saved. The scary truth. Many people expecting to be saved will be lost. But there's a saving truth. Hmm. Nothing's inconvenient. Nothing is as inconvenient as the saving truth. And the saving truth is this. Jesus gives us an explicit way to be saved. In fact, next week we'll get into John chapter 3, a great encounter. And watch what he says. He's talking to that religious person, old Nicodemus, old Nicky, talking to him. And Nicodemus was one of those trying to tell people, trying to ferret out some way around. And Jesus said, hey, buddy, unless you're born again, you're not going to see the kingdom. Well, you know, I, I know what you're saying, Jesus, but what do you really mean? He says, here's what I really mean. Unless you're born of water and blood, you'll not see the kingdom. You must be born again. Have you ever thought about what that's like? I'm a golfer. We golfers, we like mulligans. What if you were to be able to go back to your mom's womb and and be born again and God gave you a mulligan on life? Problem is, he probably wouldn't send you back as the same person. Or even knowing what you know now, you probably would come back a different person. Please listen, that's what Jesus calls us to be when we come to him. He calls us to be different than we were before. You can know about Jesus and your life not be changed. But listen, you cannot know Jesus and live the life the same way you've been living. It's that simple. And the saving truth is to allow Jesus to come into your life, into your heart. By faith, put your trust in him. And listen, follow him. I still remember several years ago, I believe it was a Sunday night, in fact, and I preached a message titled, Stirred, Not Changed. Randy Steinlage, who sits in our sound booth so faithfully, was sitting in the crow's nest that night. I didn't know what he was doing. He came down, left the technology all by itself. That's got its own set of problems, and he walked all the way down. And he took me by the hand. He said, Brother Jerry, I'm one of those. Till tonight, I've been stirred and not changed. How about you? Tom Elif asked us this question. He said, where is God in your life today? I ask you that question. When you walk out the door, is God going with you? Or is he going to just stay here? Belief is not a saving belief until it leads to action. Our Lord knows your heart this morning. He knows why you keep him at arm's distance. Or he knows why you 
embrace him and how you embrace him. Please, please, please don't miss this truth. Because the Lord knows your heart. He knows what has first place in your heart. And he calls you today to give him first place in your life. Why not bring your heart, your soul, your sin, your all. Withhold nothing. Why not bring it to the altar today? Let's pray together. Father, in moments like this, we feel so helpless. And yet in our helplessness, it's when you're made strong. When we trust in you, you never let us down. I pray that today that you're speaking into our heart and life. I pray that for the person who's never trusted you, I pray that today will be that time of change, that time of belief, that time of trust, that time of following Jesus. And for the one who has trusted you but has allowed all the debris of this world to overtake their lives, I pray that today that they'll bring it to the altar. I pray that they'll leave it at your feet and that you'll give them peace and forgiveness and comfort as you take care of them and they walk closer to you. We know you're waiting. We know you're sitting at our heart's door and you're knocking. I pray that today that we'll open the door and that our lives will be changed never to be the same because of you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.